Ignition sequence start. See, Elijah Wan has David Robinson just bamboozled. Kelly out of the corner for three in it. Don't ever underestimate the heart of a champion. The Houston Rockets select Yao Ming. McGrady at the buzzer. Yeah! Thompson steps right, shoots for the win of three, and got it! I know what we need to do. I know exactly what we need to do. Russell Westbrook, James Harden. I know what's at stake. It's going to be scary. Not for us. Rest in peace, Gary Clark. At least for now. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. I am your host, Jackson Gatlin, at JT Gatlin on Twitter, producer with Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship here in Houston. And today, to help kind of break down what's going on with Gary Clark, is Rockets radio network host and one half of Sports Talk 790's The A-Team, Adam Wexler. How's it going today, Wex? It's going great. Great to be here talking a little Rockets basketball. I, I hope Gary's okay the way you introduced him. He's, he's, he's still okay. He's just not a Rocket. Are you are you aware there's a guy on Twitter named Play Gary Clark and he's like a total Gary Clark stan? I've been made familiar with that. Yep. There's a lot of people out there like that with handles uh, similar to that. I feel, well, the most popular one is the Aaron Baines one. That one's got like 40,000 followers. It's ridiculous. Someone who likes charges and blocks and hard fouls. And three-pointers. This year, yes. This, you know, something he's definitely added to his repertoire. But sure. back to, the, back to the, the man of the hour, Gary Clark. So Rockets Twitter is infatuate, infatuated with Gary Clark. And to, to a degree, I understand why. And I'm, I'm one of them. I think that Gary Clark showed a lot of promise as a Houston Rocket. And I was one of the people, along with a lot of Rockets Twitter, who never truly understood why he didn't get more of a chance here in Houston. So what are your immediate thoughts about the waving of Gary Clark? Some of the context behind it. I could definitely agree with how the Rockets have used him, certainly during year one. I don't think he did anything on the court. Again, I'm not at practice every day, but on the court in games that merited more usage from Mike D'Antoni. Certainly didn't play his way into the rotation. I was floored at the beginning of the season as the Carmelo Anthony situation unfolded, and there was, well, we're trying to get Gary Clark more minutes. I mean, I knew that was bogus then, and obviously it was, because it never happened, and there was no reason 10 games into the career of an undrafted free agent who hadn't done anything was it going to be a part of the rotation? This year, though, when he had his opportunities, and he hasn't had many, uh, there are things that he can do that helps this team. You've got to make wide-open threes. And he has started to do that a little bit better clip. Uh, this last 15-game stretch, as a matter of fact, uh, third on the team in in uh, three-point percentage, although it, uh, you know relative to his playing time, has a little bit more size than pretty much everybody they go to off the bench, other than their two centers, uh, again, Chandler and Isaiah Hartenstein really isn't accurate. It's one or the other, usually, and nobody else. They have no bigs at all. I know he's weighs like nothing, but at least he's <laughs> tall, gets his hand on a lot of passes, get his hand on a lot of rebounds. He's actually found his way to grabbing those rebounds. So I'm definitely a Gary Clark fan, but a healthy Rockets team is going to be putting Gary Clark into a role similar to mine on game night. They won't need me. <laughs> okay, well, and, you know, I appreciate that take. That makes a lot of sense. And But I think one of the big 
one of the big picture things that a lot of Rockets fans tend to complain about, and myself included, is that Mike D'Antoni has this shortage in his rotations. He he seems to run some of his players into the ground, namely the guy right up there at the top of the list, P.J. Tucker. Tucker, at 34 years old, is ranked 8th in minutes per game this season. He's averaging 36 minutes a game at 34 years old. That's just a little insane to me to think about. And the fact that you had a guy like Gary Clark who could have spent some time spelling P.J. Tucker a little bit here and there. We're not asking Gary to play 30 minutes a game. We're not asking him to be part of the top six or top seven of the rotation. But a guy that has those attributes, a guy with some length, with some good defensive promise. You know, he was I want to say he was defensive player of the year twice in college. And for good reason, when he was with the Bearcats, there was a reason that Gary was looked at by this organization as a player who could maybe make an impact, and it just feels like Mike D'Antoni never really gave him the chance to shine. I don't know if that's a fair shake to D'Antoni, though. I think it's probably accurate to believe that they don't believe he's someone who can spell P.J. and can do the things that he does, but nobody else is either. They don't have anybody to spell him, and that's one of their biggest problems. I think that's what they should have been looking for in the offseason, and I will give them at least some credit for, I think they did in one case. I think this team would look a lot different, and we'd be really pleased with what they had in the front court if Jermichael Green was a rocket. A much bigger player who can shoot outside, who can play inside, who can defend. Who He's just a much bigger, better player than anybody they have. You're right. It would be nice if P.J. Tucker wasn't out there as much as he is. His usage rate is pretty low, but he gives everything he has for every minute is oh, on the 110%, court. So yeah. It's not really relative to how much he's actually being used in his case because of the way he plays. I think you're right in that they're, they're putting themselves in not a particularly good position. He does play like Harden in the fact that it doesn't matter if he's limping or he twisted his ankle or he fell on his backside and it looks like he should be out for weeks. He always seems to answer the bell, and they seem convinced that that will always be the case. You know, some people choose to donate their body to science. You know, I believe that P.J. Tucker has chosen to donate his body to basketball. He's donating it to the hardwood. Absolutely. That man dives for more loose balls and has more of the, you know, the dirt and maybe not dirty plays. That's the wrong way to describe it. But the hustle plays, the gritty plays, the ones that you need to win games. P.J. Tucker, he really is the heart and soul of this team. And, you know, circling back to Gary and just how this situation has unfolded, it seems to be another move in a long line of moves made by Tillman Fertitta that on the surface don't look great. The optics of it are not Phenomenal because it looks like another move on the surface that is just to dodge the luxury tax, right? Yeah, and I, uh, most of these moves, you're right. I would agree with that. And I know they're talking about some flexibility. We'll have to see, okay, is this player out because some other player is in? And there are a lot of ways the salary cap works that they're trying to circumvent, you know, legally, obviously, but they're trying to, well, this will help us get that. This activates this ability to sign a player under this, you know, veterans' contracts and what goes against the captain, what doesn't. It does make some sense. And I know who their GM is, just like everybody else. And when we look at moves like this that seem so financially driven, and then they make another move at whatever point in time they end up making it, in this case, it could be soon, it could be much closer to the trade deadline or whatever you, they normally end up better. So I can't you know, crush this move when it does seem financially driven to avoid the tax. We know how much it can mean. And they traded out one mega contract for a different mega contract that's actually going to hurt them more and for longer. Chris Paul out, Russell Westbrook in, and we're saying this guy doesn't want to go over the tax. Well, 
he's not doing to me he's not doing anything that prevents them from winning and I take that back to last year also I don't think the hiatus for Daniel House torpedoed their chances of winning in any way a lot of people do I don't well, I think a lot of people, especially going back to last year regarding the Daniel House situation, you look at the, granted it was kind of a small sample size, but they were what, something like 9-3 and three with Daniel House in that starting lineup for that stretch of games, and then regrettably, right, he runs out of time at the NBA level because he was on the two-way deal, you have the whole contract dispute, and then he comes back and he's not quite himself, not quite healthy, he had a foot injury, if I'm not mistaken. I forget if it was left or right foot, but he wasn't 100% in that playoff series and or in the playoffs at all, and so that definitely played its part. Now, this Gary Clark thing, you're right. We can't exactly evaluate it completely right now because if we take the Rockets at their word, if we take the organization at its word that they are trying to use this open roster spot to get a buyout candidate in who will immediately improve this team further than having Gary Clark on the roster would be the case, then that's a great improvement. And if you can also dodge the tax while doing that, which... There are plenty of other capologists on Rockets Twitter who have crunched the numbers, you know, 11 times over, more so than myself, more math than I could ever handle in any in any in any regard. But if you can do this and if you can add a player, a quality player, a quality buyout player without hitting the luxury tax, then it makes sense on both fronts. You don't those two things don't have to be mutually exclusive. Do you believe there's a name out there? beyond Andre Iguodala that they truly consider a buyout candidate that will both be bought out and will choose Houston with what they can offer? Really? Because it does seem all driven towards the same name we've been talking about since he left Golden State. It does. And... You know, we, we, there was the rumor earlier too this season where the Rockets did give up on on any kind of a you know three or four team trade deal to acquire Iguodala because just the cap gymnastics that Daryl Morey would have to go through just not feasible at that point. So yes, there's Iggy, but then another guy who does jump to mind is Marvin Williams over there playing for the Hornets. Let's face it, the Hornets aren't going to do anything. They're not a great team, and he's you know a guy. I want to say he's 30, 33, last year of his deal. You know, hits the three ball at a relatively decent clip. I don't think he's a 40% shooter off the top of my head, but he's a guy who could slot in and could take some of the take some of the burn off of PJ Tucker at the backup four spot. He's a guy with a little bit more size than the current Rockets roster has because let's face it, pretty much everybody on the team is six five, six six, and under. So I think he's a guy who could maybe make a difference, but that all depends on whether or not Charlotte actually wants to keep him. And if he, in a buyout position, thinks this is his best opportunity to make the best of his. Uh, I can choose where I go. I can pick and choose what I want monetarily if someone can offer me a little bit more than another or the winning situation. You are right. He is not a 40% three-point shooter. He is at 39.8% for the season thus far. But he's not a high-volume shooter. Uh, Not this year anyway. Uh, I think that's an interesting name. It's good from a... I don't want to... This is going to sound bad. I don't want to view him as Joe Johnson. But when you say Marvin Williams at this stage of his career... I kind of viewed it like that. And he's not nearly as inept defensively, which is what Joe was, which is why he was unplayable two seasons ago, and why even after winning the MVP of the Big Three, he was still not an NBA player, no matter what Twitter tried to tell you. That's why he's not in the league this year. Marvin Williams would be an interesting add, but you're also now going to play 25 more games before that happens, 20-some-odd more games before that happens. And you got out of Gary. I mean, clearly we know Gary Contract's contract became guaranteed in this time frame where he's now been waived to avoid it. Yeah, and when you 
again, if you look at it in the sense of this team does have time to still make an acquisition, right? The trade deadline's a month away. They've got a month to potentially make a move. So there's the other window where you could you could view this as they're opening up a roster spot to potentially facilitate a trade further down the uh, down the line. Now that's a little bit more difficult. They don't have a lot of salary that they could aggregate, but there were plenty of people on Rockets Twitter, you know, cranking out the trade machine, having fun with, you know, all these scenarios the Rockets were tied to Robert Covington, some rumors there. He would be a guy that would definitely improve this team's chances at, you know, making a title run especially this season with James Harden, Russell Westbrook, smack dab in the middle of their primes. This is, I think, the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway is most fans are upset because it feels like even though Gary Clark isn't going to make or break you as far as winning a championship, you're in the middle of Harden and Westbrook's primes. This is the time to win now. This would be the time to say, who cares about the luxury tax, right? Pay the money, deal with it, and then... If you're going to suck three or four years from now as Westbrook and Harden are aging, then that's when you worry about dodging the tax and saving money and doing those kinds of things. I think that's where a lot of the frustrations are coming from. Sure, but if it's the time to win now, it's great. I totally agree, and I think Tillman and Daryl agree with the same thing. But what's the difference between trying to win now and being under the luxury tax or trying to win now and paying Gary Clark so you're over the luxury tax? Like, what difference does it make if he's here or not? It's funny, Robert Covington, just because you mentioned it, that's Gary Clark. Robert Covington was Gary Clark, what, six years ago when he was here with Dwight? Exactly. It's the same player. If Gary Clark has a successful NBA career, he'll be Robert Covington. Is that, I mean, it would be great if he was that now, which is why they're interested in Covington, but I don't think they have the opportunity to have him develop here anyway. There are no minutes for him. It's a contract that, obviously, if somebody else that can help them more, can come in, that's the move to make. And we've got more stuff on this game. Look, we, we're going to talk Gary Clark for a while, guys, and we're going to keep doing that here in just a second. So don't turn off your phone, your Apple Watch, your AirPods, whatever you're using to listen to us. Don't turn us off. We'll be right back in just a second. And we are back here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Right now, I am joined by Adam Wexler, and he and I have been really digging deep, going over the whole Gary Clark situation right now, kind of what it means. Now, I don't think we mentioned it in that first segment, but Gary Clark isn't gone forever. There is a chance that he could re-sign with the Rockets after clearing waivers. It's very possible that they bring him back on, quote-unquote, a more team-friendly deal, which... I don't understand how you get more of a team-friendly deal than what he was currently on, but the only teams that are really in danger of signing him that are at least of note to Rockets fans would be the Dallas Mavericks and the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now, there's a bit of a concern there because Chris Paul was one of the guys who was championing Gary Clark early in his career, and it's very possible that now that Gary Clark has been waived, that Chris Paul goes to the Thunder front office and says, hey, you guys need to claim this guy. Because the only way for a team to claim Gary Clark is either with cap space or by using a traded player exception, so a TPE. So that immediately rules out like two-thirds of the league. There was a list on Twitter, and I, you guys have to forgive me, I forget the guy's Twitter handle, but I retweeted it. So go to my page and find it. And he listed out all the teams. But of those teams that could claim Gary Clark, the only two that are of note to Rockets fans, again, the Oklahoma City Thunder, who I think are a legitimate threat to maybe grab him up with Chris Paul there, and then the Dallas Mavericks. And it would be a very Rocketsy thing for one of those two teams to grab Gary Clark and then Gary to actually find significant minutes 
at one of those organizations, and it comes back and bites the Rockets in the ass. Well, neither of those teams has much depth, so it makes perfect sense for them. He might actually find a way there uh, and get minutes. But again, we're talking about a player who's two years into the league, was undrafted, scores less than four points per game, doesn't create for himself, is in a tremendous situation here. Just like Ben McLemore, just like Daniel House, just like all these guys on the wing for the Rockets. We need you to stand here and shoot it. That's it. It's not like that in very other, very many other places. It wouldn't be like that in Oklahoma City. It wouldn't quite be like that in Dallas. He has a skill set that their coaches, they're both of them very good, in Carlisle and Donovan, would figure out, well, this is the best way to utilize him. But they're, they're asking him to basically perform one task offensively. Hit this wide open three, please. And nowhere else in the league is that going is that all he's going to be asked to do. So I'm not sure that he's quite going to get onto the court. The Chris Paul connection you mentioned runs pretty deep. So I'd put money that that's where he would end up if if all things go in his favor. Oh, he's been a guy that's been championing Gary Clark for years because he's known him for years. He's known him through his AAU circuit. He's known him through his time in Cincinnati. He was overjoyed when he signed his deal with the Rockets after not getting drafted, and I'd be willing to bet Chris Paul was a part of why that all happened. Uh, so he's known him for a long time. I'm sure he's a big fan of his and what he's done this year for Houston. So it would surprise me if he were back in a Rockets uniform anytime soon. But if there wasn't interest out there, I'd be really, really surprised. No reason for a team, especially, you mentioned two teams that expect to be in the playoffs. Why would a team, if those opportunities aren't there for him, any other team that's going nowhere should be absolutely overjoyed to find a player like that and just put him out there. Exactly. Just see what he can maybe do. And that's a luxury that you mentioned earlier that the Rockets basically don't have right now. You know, they need immediate impact. They can't exactly wait for Gary to mature and to get to a point where he can be a legitimate contributor to this team, even though he could maybe play some meaningful minutes here and there right now, he's not going to be in a playoff rotation. And I think everybody can accept that, that Gary wasn't going to be a guy in and in a seven- or eight-man playoff rotation under Mike D'Antoni. But on that note, with Mike D'Antoni... Do you think there's a history there where it maybe seems that he doesn't, or maybe at least has a prejudice against playing young guys? I mean, it's it's so hard to look at it elsewhere beyond what he's doing right here. I mean, the more time he's giving to those types of players, that means the less time he's giving to the guy, the reason why they're there, the reason why they're good, the reason why they're uh, competing for a Western Conference championship. They just don't. This year, maybe it's a little different. I mean, when this team is healthy, as it sits here today, and let's put this team in a playoff series. Well, you have your five starters are out there. You also have Eric Gordon. You also have Austin Rivers. You also have Ben McLemore. You also have Isaiah Hartenstein. You also have Tyson Chandler. That's way more players than Mike D'Antoni ever uses in a postseason. But they all deserve playing time in that scenario. In well, previous- maybe not Tyson Chandler. I'm just gonna I'm gonna go there. I, I'm I was I was very high on the signing of Tyson Chandler, but he has not looked very great. At all this season. I think he gives them exactly what they need. and They just don't need much from him. They need six to seven good minutes on any given night, depending on who the opposing team has in the pivot. In a series against the Lakers, guarantee you he plays. That's Too true. many bigs. We haven't, we haven't seen them against the Lakers yeah, yet. I'll two weeks, we finally see the Rockets and the Lakers. It should be something that the league, I hope, is clamoring for if they give the Rockets their due respects. But yeah, I mean, Tyson Chandler, calling him a rotation player might be a bit much, but I doubt he would get DNPs throughout the series depending on who they're playing. But then you're also saying you're fully convinced that Hartenstein is going to be very, very good, going to be helpful, going to be doing what he's done over a stretch of a month. 
all the way through the season and on into the playoffs. And that's a bit of a risk to to say that at this point. D'Antoni, I don't think it's a prejudice against young players. It's a, I already know what my vets are going to give me, and I have enough of them to get through this series, so here we go. Okay, I only ask that because you see you know, other coaches around the league who maybe just maybe they have a little bit more trust with some of the, their younger guys. You know, you mentioned that playing younger guys would take away minutes from the likes of, you know, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Eric Gordon, you know, the, the proven guys, the guys who are going to get you to a Western Conference championship or to the finals even. But then I always like to bring back up the issue with, or not the issue, but the example of Jordan Bell, who played significant minutes on that Warriors team that went 73-9. and nine. He's my go-to when it comes to a coach who puts trust in a young player and then the young player then produces. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that Gary Clark and Jordan Bell are incomparable as far as their overall talent sets. I'd say maybe even in certain regards, Gary Clark is more talented because he spaces the floor better than Jordan Bell does, and he gives you probably a bit more on defense than Jordan Bell did. Now, Bell was explosive, kind of, in my eyes, kind of like a Carl Landry type almost off the bench, that super-duper energy guy right off the bench who could you know, kind of help be an injection of energy into that old Warriors lineup. I mean, I think there's something to be said for that, but that's also like if the Rockets had a player like that among their bigs, they should find a way to put him out there. Well, that player's Isaiah. Isaiah is this year's Jordan Bell. But it's taken so long. Well, but to he hasn't the shown minutes. anything. Okay. I mean, did you like what you saw from Isaiah at any point before this year? Before it, this besides year, besides his G League work. Be, uh, see, and that's the thing <laughs> is, you know, you get to this awkward point where a player outgrows the G League but isn't quite ready for NBA minutes, mm-hmm. and to on, the only way to get them ready for NBA minutes is to give them. A little bit of, you know, some chances here or there, just a few minutes here or there. And I feel like that's the main thing that a lot of Rockets fans are upset about is they feel like these young guys aren't being given just small opportunities to grow in games that are, you know, surefire wins where you've got a game that's completely put away with, you know, three or four minutes left in the fourth quarter. And yet you've still got James or Russ or the starters out there closing out minutes. And it's those moments where it's like, well, why aren't the young guys getting some burn? Right. Probably because everybody loses 20 point leads now, apparently. That's it's true. happening, oh my God, so often. You have the Rockets coming back from a 25 point deficit, the largest comeback in team history, and it's not even the largest comeback of the night in the NBA, the night that it happened when a different team came back from a 26 point deficit. It happens so frequently. Again, I don't think it's something that should prevent. Resting Harden, getting his minutes down to 33 on that night, getting Tucker's minutes down to 32 on that night. It's just not something that Dan Tony does. I don't, actually, I thought there were some other coaches that have been here in Houston that were very similar, and I was you know, scratching my head for the very same thing. Like, why are these guys still out here? Why is Yao still on the court? Why is There's no reason for this. The game is over, and we know the fragility, especially in, in Yao's case. At least these guys are a little bit different. But I would wonder what it would look like if we were sitting in these seats and locking in on another top-level Western Conference team. You mentioned Jordan Bell, and I don't know that. There's probably other examples, but are did the Golden State Warriors develop Jordan Bell by giving him minutes? No, he's basically flamed out. He hardly has a home now. He's And the Timberwolves, who are going nowhere. Are there players that you know some of the other better teams in the West have given their time to, have developed young players, and have benefited from it versus the Rockets not doing it? It doesn't seem like it's Landry me. Shamit? Uh, possibly so. He's definitely a much bigger part of what they're doing, and every time we look at those matchups, everyone's so focused in on, well, did James play? Was it the second night of a back-to-back? Did Russell play? Who was healthy? Was George out there? Was Le- was Leonard play- Who was playing? I can't remember. 
And they forget that Landry Shamit was part of that and mattered. Uh, he missed a couple of those games while he had that brief injury. The Rockets actually had their matchups, two of those matchups in there. Uh, that's a player that might fit into that category. Now let's see what he does in this year's postseason when the Clippers truly matter. Last year, they were an eight seed. Uh, they had made the big changeover, obviously, with their roster the year before with Paul. So they had a chance to do that. They weren't going anywhere. Now that they're an upper-level team, he's clearly a part of it today. I think he'll still be a part of it when it matters. We'll have to see when you know when the lights get nice and bright whether or not Landry Shamit shies away from the big moment. Now, we have hammered this kind of Gary Clark thing to death, I think, across these first two segments. So we're going to back it up a little bit, get a little bit, maybe not carefree in the third segment, but I want to kind of re- you know back things up a little bit, be a little bit more fun in that segment. Got a couple topics I want to hit on with Wex, and we'll be right back in just one moment. And we are back here for the final segment at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. I'm joined by Sports Talk 790's Adam Wexler, and we're going to have a little bit more fun in this final segment. So there was the news that came out that Dwight Howard is actually returning to the dunk contest. What do you think about that, Wex? I think it's awesome. I think it's. I think the season he's had, is, first of all, is great. He finally figured it out. If he had figured it out here in Houston, things might have been written differently historically, but uh, he's figured out his role. He seems like he gets it, and the fact that he was asked and accepted an invitation to the dunk contest is, I think it's cool. And I think he can still, uh, we know he can't do what he once did, and so I'm, I'm a little hesitant to, to not say I'm kind of, I think it's great, but I'm a little worried that he's going to underwhelm. So maybe we're not getting Superman, but we're getting Superman, like Diet Superman, Superman well, think Light. think about Superman, the big dunk that he had when he was flying through the air and he flew through the lane and threw it down. He literally threw it. He, he didn't he threw even it get into the, the rim. rim. Yeah. yeah, he threw it into the rim. I was I remember when that dunk happened. I remember watching it live and thinking, does this really count as a dunk? Right. But you know, one of the things that Dwight, you know, I think should get some credit for is. You know, the theatrics around that dunk, you know, coming out of the phone booth with the Superman. He did it all right. That's exactly how you do the dunk contest. You make it exciting for the fans. And so my question to you, X, is if you could have just all time pick any and pick any dunk contest uh, winners or even maybe not a winner, but somebody who competed in it. If you could put together your primetime dunk contest, which four guys would you pick? Well, I'm picking Dom- Dominique Wilkins right out of the gate without even thinking about that. And that's what's awesome about him and his career. It's so obvious. And I can't imagine anybody that was sitting in this chair, if you asked him that question and you gave him four spots, he would have to be on every single one of them. Absolutely. I'm interested to see where your list lands because I have my list right in front of me. And so we'll compare the two after you drop your four. Uh, I would take current NBA player Vince Carter. Okay, there we go. All I cannot right. believe he's a current NBA player with how many years ago he was Four competing in decades. dunk contests. It's incredible. 2000, the year 2000, this guy was winning a dunk contest in the NBA. That's how long he's been doing it. I'm, I'm not sure about this, if it's right or wrong. Sean Kemp, awesome in-game dunker. Clyde Drexler, awesome in-game dunker. Not thoroughly impressed with him in the contest, though. So I'm going to pass on those two, but I'm going to take one of the other guys that was in the dunk contest with Kemp. I doubt anybody remembers him, but he, in a contest, was great. Kind of a hothead. J.R. Ryder. Okay, all I'm right, trying to, I'm all doing, right. going a little outside the box with J.R. Ryder, but I do think he did that. And then I'll take the easy way out. Come on. I'll take Jordan. Okay, all right. I, li- I like this lineup. So Jordan, Carter, Wilkins, Ryder. 
All right, and see, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be showing my age here a little bit. Now, we did hit on two of the same. So first two on my list that I had were Dominique Wilkins and Vince Carter. Okay. I think those two would be a lock for almost anybody's top four. But then things get a little bit different. And I did mention I appreciate showmanship. I really do. I think that if you can get the fans engaged, if you can get people hyped up for what you're about to attempt, and then not only that, but if you can deliver on it. So cupcakes, jumping over cars, capes. Passes off the backboard. What else? What what other uh, mascot involvement? Yeah, just you know, so kind of all the kind of all the above. So I'll tell you what. Take take a wild stab in the dark. See if you can guess one of my last two. But it was something along those. You said get the fans you, you, involved. You you nailed one of them during the list you just gave. Aaron out. Gordon. Nope. Zach Levine. Nope. I don't know. A little bit further back. First guy, Nate Robinson. See, I think Nate Robinson dunk contest, and all I can't get out of my head is how many times you're gonna miss this dunk, dude. See, now the exception to that to me is when you've got a guy that size creating dunks like that, mm-hmm. doing what he does on the court. I think you have to take that into account. You sure, know, the dude's five nine, and he cleared Dwight Howard. That. He's tall in the green Knicks uniform. <laughs> yep, like that was. I think that's one of my all-time but favorite But see, that's you going moments. out there and saying, yeah, that's the question. That's what sets him apart. I, I agree with that kind of thought. Well, he was, I'm not, I don't care about the player. I don't care if he's a great dunker. This was a dunk contest. He was impressive. He put on a show. That's exactly how you described it. Who's the other one? Native Houstonian Gerald Green. Mr. Cupcake. Mr. Cupcake. I just, I, I love that dunk. Well, we've gotten to a point where creativity is so wacko, I guess. They really have to come up with something to do something that hasn't been done before, some Didn't originality. Did jump over a plane last year? Who was that? Uh, well, Blake Griffin had the car. Blake Griffin had the car. And we had the magic mascot out there with Aaron Gordon, mm-hmm. which was good. His dunks were great. That was award-winning. Like, he should have won the contest type of dunks. But amidst this whole conversation and where we're at in the NBA with this event, um, Dwight Howard's coming back to it. I think we'll see some very good names in this year's contest because of last year. Who won last year's dunk contest? Uh, wasn't it Hamadou Diallo? Okay, so from the Thunder, yeah. Who knows that answer? And I think that, I think you're absolutely right. You hit the nail on the head. There has to be some name recognition. Some just you know you got to have some common household names. And even though Dwight Howard's not a com- maybe not a common household name anymore, his history will you know what he's done in prior years will speak for itself. So will he actually have a, a going into it? Will he already be at a disadvantage? If the judges are made up of the inside the NBA crew, who oh, obviously abs- have a bias <laughs> against Dwight Howard, while the other judges are holding up tens, will they be giving him fives and sixes? I think Shaq's just going to take a Sharpie and write a negative number on the back of his card and hold that up to him. Something to look out for in Chicago. All right. Well, I think it's a good thing that we ended on Gerald Green, at least as far as my list is concerned, so that we can kind of turn things back around to a Houston angle. Because, Wex, I just wanted to ask you, you know, keeping things light, You've covered the Rockets for quite a while, and I don't want to show your age. But... You can if you want. All right, well, how many years have you covered the Rockets? So right after, as the championship years were coming to a close and the next era, Barkley basketball, et cetera, began, that's when I started covering the team. The last year of the championship was uh, the first year. I wasn't there for that. I was on Richmond celebrating like every other Houstonian. But then right after that, I was in the media game here covering this team. And so you've done it. You've done it on TV. You've done mm-hmm. it in radio. You've done it in pretty much every medium imaginable. So with that being said, 
in all these years of covering the Rockets. What are some of your, just give me one or two of your favorite moments with the caveat that it can't be the championships. Yeah, so you say favorite moments, sometimes that means memorable, and just from a work standpoint, which is how I'll take the question, uh, if people were listening to the A-Team on Sports Talk 790 at the end of 2019, start of 2020, so last week, we had a worst sports moments of the decade. And one of them would be the answer to this question because I was there for it. When Chandler Parsons won the series for the Rockets over the Blazers without clinching the series, he won game five and or he won the game six with a tip in with 0.9 seconds left. And the Rockets were taking the series back to Houston and they were going to advance. Dwight Howard, James Harden, that crew was going to advance. There were 0.9 seconds left in the game. Chandler Parsons won the game. Except he didn't. The Damian Lillard shot and then the fact that I was working for CSN Houston at the time. So there I was covering the game and in the locker room after the game. That's probably the most memorable moment of my entire time covering the Rockets outside of the championships because it was insane. It was the biggest downer I've ever been around on a sports in the sports landscape. These guys were crushed. They, still, they were in disbelief. They didn't know what to say. They knew how they kind of screwed up the final play, uh, chasing Lillard uh, in a very futile attempt to do anything to prevent a wide-open look with .9 seconds. It was just incredible, but uh, I hope that's not too much of a downer. But that is so memorable, and it stands out so much above so many other moments. Most of the other moments, uh, unfortunately, because they haven't won a championship— have a lot to do with the acquisitions. And it did start with Les Alexander, and it's continued with Tillman Fertitta. The the ability to acquire these unbelievable superstar players, it's something no other team's ever done. And it's actually now finally starting to happen elsewhere. We've seen Leonard move. We've seen George move. We've seen superstars bouncing all over the place. But they added Drexler. They added Barkley. They added Tracy McGrady. They added Dwight Howard. They added Chris Paul. They added Russell Westbrook. And then the one that trumps them all, how the heck did they trade for James Harden? What is Oklahoma City thinking? That year, we were right before the season was about to begin. And Jeremy Lin and Omer Ashik were the Rockets. It was going to be a dreadful, miserable season. A 25, 35 win season. No respect on Kmart's name. (laughs) I can't put the team in Kmart's hands, even though he helped facilitate that deal for some reason. Uh, That was going to be a bad season. And all of a sudden, it turned into the season that set the course for the next seven years, where more than half of that time, James Harden's time here in Houston, you could have legitimate conversation the entire year until it ended about them being championship-level team. That was the other big moment. The Rockets got James Harden. I I can't believe it. That year, if it was a Star Wars movie, it would have been A New Hope. That's that's all it could have been. Absolutely. Good reference. Well, hey, I appreciate you taking the time to be here with us today, Wex. Is there anything you want? I mean, I know there's a couple things you probably want to plug before we get you out of here, so I'll let you do that. Well, it's good that we're doing this now and get a chance to kind of get it going here in 2020 as the Rockets will finally see the Lakers. I think everybody's excited to see that. Hopeful that LeBron James will be over whatever it is that he's in and out of the lineup with. I know he's been sick a little bit. Would like to see both teams at full strength. Because where these teams finish in the West, I think, is so unbelievably unimportant. I don't think anybody outside of the Rockets is playing for the top seed. I think the Lakers might just get it because they're that good. But if they start doing things differently, they have not played well against the better teams. I think at this point in time, they've played 14 games against playoff teams. 
and they're seven and seven, and they basically don't lose to anybody else. I think they're literally undefeated in every other game. It doesn't matter if they can beat all the bad teams. It matters. Can they match up with the teams they're going to have to beat in the playoffs? We've seen them against the Clippers. We've seen them against the Bucks. The Rockets, to me, are that one other team that I think can stand in their way if that's the matchup they see. And most likely, if the Lakers win a title this year, they're going to have to beat the Rockets and the Clippers and the Bucks to do it. That's kind of a gauntlet to have to go through. Definitely. It certainly is, but... They have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. They could be ready. That's a couple of really good basketball <laughs> players. So uh, before you head out, uh, if you want to drop your Twitter handle, where people can find you, where they can find your content. Hopefully they can find me just about everywhere. You mentioned I've done it on TV and radio. I'm currently still doing both of those things. At KPRC2, Adam W. is where you find me on Twitter, Instagram, same thing, just with the full name. And, of course, each and every weekday afternoon right here on Sports Talk 790, uh, where we happen to be located currently. Uh, you catch me three to six weekday afternoons on the A-Team. And as uh, Jackson mentioned, Rockets basketball, pre-half and post, along with color analyst work here at home. So looking forward to continuing that over the course of the rest of the season and many additional games in the postseason. All right. Thanks, Wex. We appreciate it. You got it. And one more time, that was Adam Wexler of, hold on, let's see, KPRC Channel 2, Sports Talk 790, and Rockets Radio Network. I don't know where the dude hasn't worked. So we're happy to have him here on the show, happy that he could spend some time with us. But I think that's where we will leave things off for today. As always, thank you guys for tuning in. Now, if you want more content before our next show, social media is where it's all happening. I'm on there, at JT Gatlin. You can find Wex on there, at KPRC 2 Adam W. And then past that, there's the show, Locked on Rockets. Then, of course, we have Facebook, which can be found at facebook.com slash LockedOnRockets, the website LockedOnRockets.com, and our email address LockedOnRockets at gmail.com. All of these are different ways for you to consume content about your Houston Rockets. You can ask me questions about the team, make suggestions for our show, place advertising inquiries. Really, it's just a way for you guys to reach out to me to let me know if there's anything that we can do to improve this experience for you, our listeners. Beyond that, if you'd be kind enough to subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya, wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts, if you could please rate the show, subscribe to the show, and give us a five-star review when you do rate the show. That's how you get the benefit of episodes that go straight to your inbox before they publish to the previously mentioned social media outlets, and then we get the benefit of looking attractive to potential advertisers and keeping this business model rolling along as the most regular podcast covering Houston Rockets basketball. So for this... Tuesday, January 7th episode. This is where we break things. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we hope to have you back again very, very soon right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.